Before we begin this week's episode, we just want to dedicate this episode to the memory of Sharon Spurl, a.k.a. former WCW wrestler Daphne. She sadly passed away September 2nd, 2021, and this relates to our podcast because a young Shannon, or Daphne, appeared back in Minute 58. She was a bratty little girl in a dance class, and I'm going to play her line right here to honor her. My parents gave me a doll where she says whole sentences on a cassette. You don't have any parents, so meh. And if you want to hear Daphne's memories of filming that minute, we were very fortunate to get her on this podcast in a roundabout way, and we were just really glad we did. She seemed really thrilled in that episode to be sharing those memories, and we're really grateful that we were able to get them. So our thoughts and condolences with, were with the friends, family, fans. And we know that she will be missed. Hi everyone, it's John and Ben, and welcome back to Santa by the Minute, the podcast where Ben and I talk about 1985's Santa Claus the Movie, one minute at a time. And this week, we are up to minute 74. This is an exciting minute. The Patchmobile is about to be airborne. It is. It's about to take off. It's going to take its first flight. But before the Patchmobile takes off, Dooley says we have some listener Mail. More and more learning to write now, asking for what they want. Reading and writing, writing and reading. So who's our feedback from this week, Ben? Okay, so today we just have something that Adam from Mary Britsmith wanted to share with us. And he said that he was reading a Marvel holiday special from 2006. And they have a biography of Santa in this special comic. And he was pretty sure that this was a Santa Claus the movie reference. So he shared this little blurb here, and I wanted to read it to you guys, and you guys can let us know what you think. Yet another source relates Santa as being a kindly woodcarver in Europe during the Middle Ages, who went from town to town giving gifts he made himself. One Christmas, he and his wife were caught in a blizzard, but were saved by elves. The elves told Claus that he was their predicted leader and made him immortal. That sounds pretty much like the plot of the movie. Yeah. To give a little more context Mm -hmm. in these special comics that Adam was talking about, they had biographies of like all the characters and their history with Marvel. And if you remember, Ben, who published the movie comic book adaption of Santa Claus the movie? It was none other than Marvel. So if I had to guess, whoever was writing this biography of Santa for this issue of Marvel probably just was searching anything Santa-related in the Marvel archives. What would you think? I would think so. I definitely think that was a Santa Claus the movie reference. That was an awesome find, Adam. Thanks for sending it in. Yeah, thank you. That was was really cool to read. I like that. So anyway, on to minute number 74. And the first thing we see in this minute is Patch turning a knob on the Patchmobile's dashboard. We hear some electronic-type sounds. 
which activate the drumming toy soldiers on the front of the vehicle. I wanted to point out on these toy soldier figures, they all have like handlebar mustaches, but there is one, you get a really good sh uh, look at him in this shot, his mustache doesn't have like the little handlebar tips, it's like two little rectangles. I don't know why it wasn't consistent. <laughs> I know, his is like, his is like thick, like... It was like they made a mistake and they were just like, oh, well, no one will notice from, you know, far away on the screen. Let's just uh, cover that over real quick with a Sharpie. And <laughs> so they're probably like, nobody will notice this, you know, so far away. <laughs> 36 years later, somebody did notice. Yes. <laughs> the joke's on you, set designers. <laughs> if they had focused on the other side of the Patchmobile, you know, the driver's side as opposed to the passenger side, you would never have known. Because most of the other shots are too far away. The attendants who just filled the gas tank with Stardust fuel rush off the stage. Patch then flips three switches on the dashboard. Patch laughs with delight as everything on the Patchmobile seems to be working as intended. <laughs> Did he not test it ahead of time? This is like the first flight ever. <laughs> um, well, it's Patch. <laughs> That's true. He just kind of goes for it, you know? Yeah, you would You would have thought there'd be like a trial run, you know, maybe like a week before. To make sure everything so. was operational. <laughs> I highly doubt it. I'm sure he finished working on this the minute before he had to go live. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because he seems, like, almost surprised and, and delighted that everything's working as intended. Mm-hmm. Next, we see the drums, the quote-unquote drums, that the toy soldier figures were banging on earlier slowly turn around to reveal that they are actually... Headlights. It's nice to see that the toy soldier figures are serve a function. Unlike yeah. those ducks on the Patchomatic machine back at the North Pole. <laughs> Very true. I think everything serves a function on this car. Maybe some are just decorative. The headlights then illuminate. Patch picks up a remote control, which opens the doors of the toy warehouse. You you're know, last so... week... <laughs> yes, you're getting to what I was about to get to. The two, the two attendants on either side of the door, last week I... I like, they must be the ones who open the door. But no, Patch has a remote for that. They're just standing there still with their arms crossed. <laughs> what maybe, was their purpose? Maybe they're the backup system. To you push know, him it, out the door? If, <laughs> no, if, mean, some, if, some, if he needs an extra jump start, they push him out the door. No, no, I mean, maybe if the remote didn't work, they could oh, open yeah. the doors. At the last minute. Okay, yeah. that, may, that makes sense. I can go with that. Okay. BZ looks very pleased, and he lets out a very content, ah! Patch kind of adjusts his little dangly hat. Then BZ yells, Knock him dead, kid! Knock him dead, kid! Knock him dead! Come on, kid! Miss Bruzy, Towser, and Grizzard also start shouting words of encouragement. Patch gives everyone a big thumbs up. The engine fires up and we see exhaust come pouring out of the two, two back. Would you call them tailpipes? I'm going to call yeah. them tailpipes. Yeah. And then we also see that the trunk is full of puce pops. 
kind of reminds me of the Batmobile. You know, you'd often get that shot of the yeah. Batmobile engines firing up, but instead of flames, they're just getting billowing exhaust. Mm-hmm. I love this shot of behind Patch going out the doors here. I just love the 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 angle of it. There's something about this shot I just love. So, in your opinion, is that enough puce pops to <laughs> to deliver to everyone in the world? No. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> I don't know if there's enough puce pops there to deliver to every child in New York City. <laughs> I mean, granted, not every child celebrates Christmas. But even the ones who do celebrate Christmas, I don't know if there's enough there. But I don't know how deep it goes either. That's true. It could be bigger on the inside. Right. It could it's be the, like TARDIS. Like a, yes. <laughs> it could be a TARDIS car. I mean, it is long enough for Patch to lay down and sleep in. That's true. I'm, I, I know I'm pulling from further in the movie, but he does sleep in there. So, you know, it's got to be at least as long as an elf. So this, this is setting us up here for one of the most frustrating plot holes of the movie. You kind of um, alluded to it last week with how Patch... Should have been already out already. Half the world should already have busy puce pops because it's yeah. already Christmas morning for them. Right. And it has been established that time travels with Santa because he is the chosen one. This is a power exclusive to Santa Claus himself. Right. At least that is how it sounds when the ancient one is telling everyone why he can, why Santa can deliver presents to everyone. In the world. I feel like Patch and Beezy should have started off a little smaller. Like, this year, we're just going to do a test run in New York City. Yeah. And then, gradually, if they had more time to flush this out, mm -hmm. Beezy would get more and more greedy. And, like, next year, we're going to build a fleet of Patchmobiles. Mm -hmm. And then I, like, picture him, like, dressing up the winos as elves mm -hmm. to deliver the puce pops. And then, gradually, uh, Patch has second thoughts about mm -hmm. his plan getting out of hand. Right. I feel like there's so much potential in this half of the movie. It, it's so frustrating that it's kind of all squeezed, compressed together. Yeah. As we've said 5,000 times on this podcast, this second part of the movie should have been its own movie so that all of these things could have been expanded. And I know it's been like three or four months for us, but a lot of plot... <laughs> Has been crammed into a very short amount of screen time. Yes, it has only been, I know it probably doesn't feel like it, but it has only been 10 minutes since Patch left the North Pole in the movie. 10 minutes. That's it. And he's already flying out of his uh, factory here. So the book doesn't give any insight on what is propelling Patch to deliver all over the world like Santa. Well, the book actually kind of goes into, I think it kind of goes, it doesn't really give a lot of it. Most of what Patch is doing is in relation to Santa. So in the book, Patch is delivering puce pops at the same time as Santa is delivering presents. So the book kind of has it all in minute 75. So it'll have to be next week that I talk more about Patch delivering 
to the Puce Pops because technically he just barely leaves the factory in this minute. That's true. He ha- he has timed it down to that the New York City deliveries coincide to around the same time Santa is yeah. in the air over New York. Right. Which goes back to, I wish they had a line just saying, okay, this year is just New York City. This will impress Santa. Mm-hmm. You know, this little test run of my right. uh, Patchmobile. And then gradually BZ convinces him to do more and more and more. Yeah. Maybe even leading up to BZ convincing Patch, oh, show me the North Pole, you know, so I have some inspiration. Then he adds up, does a hostile takeover of the North Pole. Wouldn't that have been cool? That would have been cool. It would have really felt... felt um, you would have felt BZ's want to take over for Santa more if that happened. Oh, definitely. We'll get mm-hmm. to that in a few minutes, a few mm-hmm. months from now, where yeah. it's just like BZ just turns on a dime. Yeah. It's I, like, where did this <laughs> hatred for Santa Claus all of a sudden come from? I, I'll have more on Patch delivering next minute, but I can't go into it because it's in the next minute. You know what I mean? So I can't. You got you to be good. We won't have anything to talk about next week. Right. But phew, I'm glad I've got that off my chest now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't understand <laughs> what they were thinking here. You know, even when we took former guest of the show, Gabriel, to that screening of this movie, that was the one thing he pointed out that stuck out to him as a first-time viewer. Is like, how is he delivering everything mm-hmm. and has the same powers as Santa seems to have? Right. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't follow along with any thing in the movie at all though i i will admit never giving it a second thought watching the movie as a child <laughs> you know i as um i'm, I'm re-watching patch leave this ramp here well not out the window yet but just like down towards the bz and his crowd and i have to give the filmmakers major props for having so much exhaust come out of this car that you can't see the tires under it, you know, because there's obviously tire real tires. Oh yeah, under this car, it's not really driving on these round fiberglass balls. You know what I mean? So you can't even see the tires at all. There's so much exhaust billowing out of this car. They did a good job with that. And speaking of good shots here, I love the shot of the Patchmobile zooming by. BZ and his crew mm-hmm. and everyone is super excited especially Towser. Towser is really into it. Now I have before Patch really kind of starts the engine here you have BZ saying knock him dead kid you know at that point Towser in the book Towser swallowed a large lump of sentiment that had choked his throat and mumbled it's moments like this that make me proud to be an American. Free enterprise by God. This could <laughs> never happen in Russia. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> How hilarious is that? Oh, jeez. I, I can understand why they trimmed that a little bit. Yeah, but how funny. I mean, I just read that and I just crack up laughing every time. And I can imagine uh, Jeffrey Kramer knocking that out of the park, too. I know. I know. Speaking and, of Jeffrey Kramer, we, we're yeah. like uh, Twitter BFFs now, right? He we liked, are. He liked the Puce Pop Minute. Uh-huh. Uh, I started following him from the Santa by the Minute account. I didn't, like, talk to him or anything because he's, like, a famous person. I didn't right. want to <laughs> bother him. So I just <laughs> quietly followed him. And he followed us back, and he liked 
uh-huh. the Pew. I think he retweeted yeah. the Pew's Pop episode to he his did. dozens of followers. He I thought did. he'd be. I thought he'd have a blue verification check, but he didn't. Maybe it's a fake Jeffrey Kramer. Maybe I don't. I'm gonna pretend it's real. Uh, yeah, he 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 liked and he retweeted and he followed us back, and it's so super exciting. I know. So we're we're like BFFs with Towser, kind of. <laughs> In our minds, <laughs> in our minds only. We're still too, we're still too scared to talk to him. <laughs> like, hey, do you want to be on? Do you want to be on our dopey podcast? <laughs> so, also, um, I wanted to talk about Miss Bruzy. So, after um, at the same time as as this whole knock him dead and Towser's wonderful love of America, <laughs> Miss Bruzy gets carried away. Also, and she begins to jump up and down, clapping her hands and yelling, all the way, Patch, go for it, baby. <laughs> so, I, I can see her. I can see her getting excited, but yeah. she just sounds like cheering with the others. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, she just she's cheering Patch on with all of her might. It says that uh, in that moment, even BZ could have believed that once. She had been head cheerleader and most popular girl in her class. I love hearing more about Miss Abruzzi's backstory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Super exciting. Like, she has some backstory there. So not only are BZ, Towser, Grizzard, and Abruzzi cheering and uh, jumping up and down for Patch, but so are everybody on the crew, including the two guys that up until this moment, have just been standing there with their arms crossed by the warehouse doors. Yeah. And then we see the Patchmobile fly out the open door of the second floor of the toy warehouse. And we get a good view confirming what the book has already told us, that BZ's factory is on Long Island because we can see the Patchmobile launching over a body of water. Yeah. And that's where our minute ends. We'll get a little more of that view next week. Mm Mm-hmm. Santa, once again, absent from this minute. I think he was, yeah, he was present last week, so he's just taking this week off. Right. And in the long run, he's not sitting out as much of the movie as I had envisioned in my head, or how long it felt like in my head. No, it feels a lot longer when you're watching it, I think. But Yeah, I, I think uh, Santa's going to win this one, but I don't know. It's going to be close. No, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I asked this last week, but you know this, this door that Patch goes shooting out of in this factory? Why do they have a door like that? That high up in the factory? Yeah, I, I assumed it was, because they have that runway and then like a ramp pointing upwards. So I just thought those at first were double doors, like they back the truck up to. Right. Like the tractor trailer, but even then they're on Long Island. Maybe maybe they have maybe they have to use a crane or something and lift like a storage unit container up there to load up and put on a boat. Maybe. I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously a truck couldn't use this even if they weren't on Long Island. It's too high off the ground. That's up near the sky. So I the I don't know. I was thinking maybe they had them to install equipment, like easier to get the equipment in the building there. Possibly, I'll go. I'll go with that. We do see snow on the ground. We do uh, confirming it's also Christmas in New York area. Yes. You can see a couple. You see a couple flatbed trucks in the parking lot. Sorry, I'm just looking at there. They, I do see cranes around, so maybe they do lift things into that 
door up the on the warehouse. Yeah, maybe. They're too far away from the actual water for them to go straight from a cargo ship to that warehouse there. <laughs> just looking, just admiring this frame. It's like, oh, look at that. The, the way that car turns in the air like that is quite miraculous. Like, it's like the end, the... <laughs> He's, oh, like, yeah. sliding sideways. That's not how the propulsion goes out the back. Yeah, it's so, almost like the DeLorean yeah. <laughs> reaching 88 miles per hour. It's interesting the way they have it going sideways like that. But And and with, as the car flies out of the warehouse, our minute ends. Mm-hmm. And my notes end, too. Where where do you think this is in real life? I have no idea. It may not even exist in real life. Could it? Couldn't it just be a matte painting? Maybe, maybe. It would have to. It would have to be a good matte painting because later, you know, at the end of the movie, they show this building with the police showing up at the bottom. You know what I mean on the ground, and it matches the painting. So. I just really I, want something from know. this movie to exist in real life. It can't all be matte paintings. Do not. It's all showbiz make-believe. I don't like it. I want it to be a real thing. Yeah, we can't go to the real New York City and see the townhouse. No. Or the McDonald's because none of it existed in the real world. I know. Just on the backstage, back, back lot of Pinewood Studios in I 1984. Mean, I mean, maybe does Pinewood Studios have like a riverfront, or, like a waterfront? You're gonna have to see if you can get a like a Google satellite view of Pinewood Studios. I'm going to. I'm gonna look yeah. it up right now. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I couldn't find where this actually takes place, but I'm gonna find something because there has to. Be, I mean, part of it is shown on camera as an actual studio of some sort, so I'm gonna figure it out. So I know this episode's coming up a little short. Yeah. There wasn't too much to talk about in this minute, but we, we, we still managed to go. I, I think we crossed the 20-minute mark, which back in our olden days would have been like, we would have called it a day here. That's true. But I made a discovery this morning, and it's a topic that we may circle back on far, far in the future mm -hmm. after we've completed the movie and need something Santa, <laughs> Santa Claus the movie adjacent to talk about. Uh -huh. But I was thinking how... Once again, how this movie is just screaming to be a musical. I don't... Everything on paper seemed to point to it, wouldn't you say? I think the Sulkins really let this one slip because they could have been selling soundtrack albums year after year. That would have been quite the revenue stream. It would have been, yeah. And no offense to Henry Mancini, but there's not really any hummable songs in this movie. They're all... It's Christmas! <laughs> okay, all right. Sheena, Sheena aside... <laughs> We, we love Sheena Easton, but all the others are like, I can't even think of the tune. I'm trying to think of that. Yeah, that's all. You're making it very appealing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's like they should have got the Sherman brothers. We're, we're big Sherman well, yeah. brother fans here. You know, Richard and Robert Sherman, the... Disney songwriters of Winnie the Pooh and the Jungle Book, Mary yes. Poppins, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. The Disney and even not, yeah. And even non-Disney movies like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 
I can't remember really anything about the plot of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but I remember like half the songs. Yeah. And that led me down a rabbit hole this morning looking up lesser known Sherman Brothers scores. And I stumbled across their last movie that they did songs for, which was in 1998. They worked together on a direct-to-video musical. This is so, this is so crazy. I, I, I couldn't believe this exists. But it was a direct-to-video musical of King Kong starring the voice of Ariel, Jody Benson, as the blonde who falls in love or King Kong falls in love with. Mm-hmm. And the Sherman Brothers wrote some original songs for this, and I was look at, looking them up on YouTube, and there's like this villain song because the villain of the movie is this kind of shady, slick movie producer named C.D. And he has like a little yes-man assistant named Roscoe. So I was already seeing like BZ and Towser parallels. Mm-hmm. And then I start listening to the song and it's like pretty catchy. It's like, that voice sounds familiar. And it was voiced in his final credited film role of Dudley Moore. So what? we exist in a universe <laughs> where Dudley Moore got to sing an original Sherman Brothers song. And this movie is streaming on Tubi. So we are going to take the audio. There's never been an official soundtrack album of the animated King Kong movie called The Mighty Kong with Dudley Moore and singing the Sherman Brothers song. So let's roll it. I'm not too concerned about copyright because somebody has uploaded this entire movie onto YouTube back in 2018 and it's still sitting there. So let's throw caution to the wind. It's a real, real banger, as the kids would say. It's a real bop. I don't know if they say that. <laughs> I was an extra. An extra? You will star in my new film. It's a passionate romance, a daring adventure, a searing drama of um um a, a, a poignancy. Yes, poignancy, pathos, and a love in the South Pacific. How about it, Anne? Are you game? Well, I, I don't know. Oh, what a luscious life you're leading, Lotus Land! In Hollywood! Living it up in the movie colony! Beverly Hills! Ah. Once you are a movie star, your life is really lush! Lush! When you're rolling in the money, even rainy days are suddenly telling your beauty secrets to the magazine! And the radio! Your face upon a million silver screens! And billboards! Let me be your helping hand, you'll be the queen of Lotus Land. All you've got to do is sign with me. <laughs> Roscoe. Ah, uh, yes, sir, CB. Ah, uh, miss, listen to this. I guess you haven't a clue that right here next to you is the greatest movie director of them all. Well, I don't know about that. And I'm about to make a truly epic film that's greater than any film you can recall. It's got laughter, it's got tears, mystery, and fear. It's majestic, but it's intimate as well. <laughs> it's got drama, it's got heart, it's got terror, but it's art. And climactically, it casts a mystic spell. Mystic spell! We've lined up everything we need so far. <laughs> 
The only thing we are lacking is our bright new star. And you fill the bill, my dear. One CB denim film and you're off to the coast. Ah. Oh, what a luscious life you're leading in Lotus Land. Hollywood. Living it up in the lap of luxury. Malibu Beach. Closets full of designer dresses, chauffeured limousine. Glamorously going places to the clubs or to the races. Live in a Spanish mansion with a swimming pool. And a butler. The famous faces dropping in for tea. Doggy favorite. Let me be your helping hand. You'll be the queen of Lotus Land. All you've got to do is put, put your moniker on the dotted line. All you've got to do is sign with me. Ha! Yeah. He, he really gave it his all. He's really belting it out there for his final film role. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll definitely have to circle back on this someday. Yeah. <laughs> it is definitely very catchy. Yes, it definitely has a Mary Poppins vibe to it. It does. It does. And I could have sworn the name was ZB. Is it ZB? It's CD. CD? It sounded like it was ZB. Like, like backwards of BZ. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. It's just that's what it sounded like. <laughs> so now my brain just thinks, oh, man, can you imagine John Lithgow and Jeffrey Kramer just belting out a Sherman Brothers song? That would now? be awesome. They should have done that. But yeah, props to the Sherman Brothers and props to Dudley for yeah. uh, giving it their all that late in the game. Mm-hmm. It was great. Good job, guys. Round of applause. Well, on that note, <laughs> Ben, where can people email us if they want to talk about obscure direct-to-video 1990s animated movies or anything handlebar mustaches what else would we talk about well you can... backstory <laughs> you can reach us at santa by the minute at gmail.com or you can reach us online at santa minute on twitter instagram and facebook twitter's really the best place to reach us though <laughs> Be cool like Jeffrey Kramer and yes. follow us on Twitter. That's right. <laughs> ben and I post a brand new episode each and every Wednesday. And as always, you can listen to any of those episodes. For free!